All right. <clears throat> so we're going to be continuing our uh, our dive into Peter here, First Peter. <clears throat> and today we're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter three, uh, verses eight through seventeen, and uh, how I kind of surmise this is going to be uh, suffering for righteousness' sake, uh, and. Anyway, it's kind of a kind of a deep subject for people to get into. It seems really hot. Bring it up a little bit. Bring it, bring it up. Okay. There we go. Good. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so, as we start diving into uh, this section, as I started kind of studying and planning out exactly how I was going to do this, kind of breaking it down into three different sections, this group of verses. We're going to go over uh, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to go verses 10 through 12, and then we're going to go over verses 13 through 17, because they kind of separate out in this instance. So we're going to start with verses 8 and 9. Uh, finally, all of you who have, uh, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those, <clears throat> for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So when you're looking at verses uh, 8 through 9, whenever he says, finally all, to me, it's like he's kind of providing, this is a transition point uh, from the previous part of First uh, Peter there. And... Uh, He's transitioning from specific instructions uh, to a list of godly virtues that are going to uh, be, we should implement as believers, uh, and we're all called to exemplify them at all the times, at all times. I mean, that's kind of what this is. You know, those who bless others will receive a blessing from God. So in verse 8, uh, when it says, uh, oh, sorry, wind blew it. In verse 8, it says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So I wanted to kind of start breaking that part down right there to what, what does Scripture tell us those are. So uh, we're going to start with have unity of mind. Unity of mind, we're gonna, I'm going to jump over to Romans 12, 16. And when you get over to Romans 12, verse 16, it turns around and says, uh, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So that's a pretty good definition right there to me. So we've got to turn around and <clears throat> when you have the unity, uh, the unity of mind means we've got to all be conjoined in the, in the same ideas and the same, in the same, uh, I'm going to put this. To have unity of mind is we all need to be uh, it, it, more. It's more than just a unity of mind. It's we've got to have the same belief system. It's got to be not just, hey, I like cars and Paul likes cars. You know, it's it's got to be it's got to be deeper than that. It's more personal than that, that we've got to be unified. And what is the one thing that unifies all of us is Jesus Christ. You know, but like I said, it's so much deeper than that. We can't. I think as Christians, a lot of times we look at unity and we play it down for what it truly is supposed to be uh you know 
I mean, how many horror stories, have, not horror stories, I don't want to call it that, but how many stories have you heard of people that, hey, I don't go to church anymore because I was going to this church and someone offended me or they, they didn't appreciate me or there's, there's always something. There's people that church jump and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But then when you start talking, oh, but, you know, churches, oh, but we're all unified, we're all unified. But if we were truly all unified, there would be no need for that, you know. So it, it goes so much deeper than that. And then... So when you're looking at that and then you look at verse 9, uh, I like verse 9 because it turns around and says, do not repay evil for evil or uh, reviling, revealing, uh, well, it's not revealing, it's reviling for reviling. <clears throat> what that really means is uh, to revile is uh, to insult, but on a deeper level than just an insult. So right here, right off the bat in verses 8 and 9, we're being told that uh, you've got to be unified and then you can't repay evil for evil. You can't turn around and insult people when they insult you. My greatest example, and this is what I love and this is what I ask people all the time, ask Courtney because I bring this up all the time. Whenever someone's irritated and they're like, oh, this person said this to me and, and I turn around and we got into this big argument about it, I'd be like, what did Jesus do when he was standing up there and Pontius Pilate had him at the top and all those Pharisees and stuff were hurling insults and saying he was doing all this stuff. What did Jesus do? Nothing. He sat there silent because it wasn't his job to defend himself in that. You know, yeah, you know, you got to stay silent. Uh, okay, so you have unity of mind in verse 8, and then you also have sympathy. Uh, sympathy is pretty, that's a pretty understandable word. You know, there's, you can look up the different definitions of it and all that kind of stuff, but sympathy still boils down to just be be kind of kind-hearted and in that aspect and care uh but then i looked at brotherly love and i was like hmm, brotherly love what is how does the bible explain brotherly love and i really like that one because it's uh in hebrews if you look at hebrews 13 1 through 3 it says let brotherly love continue now in verse 2 is where it starts defining what brotherly love is it says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby have some entertain or for some thereby have some entertained angels unaware unaware remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body and uh Excuse me, I'm sorry. What chapter was that Hebrews? Hebrews 13 1 through 3 uh and it was it was a little bit because what it specifically, when you look at what Hebrews is talking about to have, uh, to be, to have that brotherly love, what it's talking about is, like it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers uh, because some have entertained angels and didn't know it. You know, uh, there was that really cool story that went around. I remember getting an email back when that was how correspondence happened and it was the story of the woman who turned around and said Jesus was going to be coming over and she turned around and a homeless man showed up at her house and she ended up helping the homeless man and all this kind of stuff and then the homeless man leaves and Jesus never shows up and she was really broken hearted and then the next day she gets a letter from Jesus and he said hey thanks for treating me so well she didn't realize that the homeless man was Jesus you know and uh, that's that's kind of the, that brotherly love is uh and, and I'll be honest, I've been just as guilty about uh, not being kind-hearted enough 
not showing that. And this is what really was kind of getting to me about this and what the brotherly love is the showing hospitality to strangers. Now being in the, uh, an industry where I have to deal with customers, I can put on a real good front. But showing the kindness to strangers, what we've talked about when we just went over the whole Sermon on the Mount, what was the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? What is God worried about? Where's our heart at? And this is kind of what I wanted to get to in some of this stuff is I can put on a good face. I can be out there so mad I'm ready to throw my tools across the shop and walk out and quit my business and walk up there and just put on a face and just, how you doing, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Just that good old boy thing. I can turn it on and off. But is my heart in it when I'm doing it? You know, uh, whenever you come to church, are you coming to church? Well, obviously, if you're coming to this church, it's not a social status, you know. But how many people have you, do you know that use church as a social status? You know, they go to church every Sunday just because it looks good, you know, in the community they're in. So it's, it's it like, just like on the, the, the unity thing and all this, if you really study this out, it's so much deeper than just the base form that we just try to just read through this. When you're reading through scripture, you got to look like, how much deeper is it and that brotherly love is uh man it's 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 deep it's you know you got to have that and then uh the other one and me and i know eric gets this too because he does a lot of jail ministry remember those who are in prison as though in uh as though in prison with them for those who are mistreated since you also are in the body and uh Man, I've been doing. I've done jail ministry for years now, and the the biggest struggle as a pastor that goes in there to preach at the prisons is finding other pastors that are just that are also wanting to go in there to preach at the prisons, you know. Uh, and and I, I know they worded it as the ones in the prison and remember the ones in the prison, but it almost seems like it's a little deeper than that. It's remember the ones that the rest of the community has shunned is the way I kind of see it. Because most of the time, anybody who's serving in jail or anything like that is shunned by the community. They're not, they're not really, you know, taken care of. They're not treated equal, you know, whether whatever their situation is, they're not treated as an equal, you know, you're a convict, you're, you're wearing this orange jumpsuit or this stripes or whatever you want to say, you know, they're just not looked at as it's because they're not providing to the community, so to speak, at the time. You know, there's so many different things that come into it. But, but I almost want to say that in Hebrews, when that was written, it was, it was the, the way I like to perceive that is it's not specifically stating just the people in prisons, but it's the people that the community has shunned, you know. And you can't turn around and turn your back on people like that. You can't, you know, that's what brotherly love is. What are you willing to do for those that is might not necessarily help your reputation out you know oh man i turn around and you know to help try and build this guy up or, or whatever like that or, oh man well he's a bad dude didn't he get in a bunch of trouble didn't he do that you know oh you've been been working with this you know there's a lot of people out there that turn around and and you know will look down on you for trying to help somebody that needs it more than other people uh so like i said you know it's, it's all goes back to the heart where's the heart at and uh and so that brotherly love was something that was really, really neat. And then uh, the next one is a tender heart. And a tender heart uh, refers on Ephesians 4.32. Jump over to Ephesians real quick, 4.32, and read what it says about it. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. 
that's another one. The, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking these are so similar, but then when you look at how Bible kind of describes what it is to do that act, they're so different. And on this one, the tenderhearted is to forgive people the way Christ has forgiven you. Yet again, you know, how many times is, you know, oh, I, I guarantee you with my kids, especially Jude and Cable, when they were younger and they'd start fighting real bad, I turned around and apologized to your brother. I'm sorry, you know. They, uh, yeah, he really forgave him. Like they're not fixing to go in the room as soon as the, in the as soon as the door shut. They're going to go back to arguing about whatever it was they were arguing about. It wasn't sincere. There was no sincerity in it. It was going through the motions, just like just like everything else. And that's you know with, with all this, it's it's more than going through the motions. It's a deeper connection that you're going to have uh, with God, and that's going to turn around and and you know. So what this is going to cut. We just spent so long going over the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't want to go over this, where's your heart, where's your heart, where's your heart, because we just went over it for so long. But, man, if you read anything from Matthew to Revelations, it's pretty much about where's your heart at. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to truly speak out of the Bible and not speak about where your heart is, because that's, that's the whole purpose. That's what God wants you to do is have a good and just caring heart, you know. And then finally, uh, the last one is to have a humble mind and... It's just kind of like the rest of the stuff, you know. Uh, I didn't, I didn't actually look up a scripture for that one, uh, because humility—you got to walk in humility. We all know what that is. We've all had to eat crow at some point, you know. Uh, but it's just not think any higher of ourselves than we truly are. Uh, so anyway, uh, on verse nine, when it's talking about do not repay evil for evil or anything like that, I wanted to kind of look back at the previous chapter in chapter 2, verses 23, and uh, it said, He was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to who, to who judges justly. And they're talking about Jesus right there, and that's just like Jesus didn't say anything when he was up there and they were hurling the insults and he knew he was fixing to be crucified. He said nothing. What could he have done? We've talked about this before. He could have called an army down to turn around and fight for him if he wanted to, but he didn't. He turned around and, and sat quiet. And, and so we can't just be going at it like that. So uh, anyway, I just, I just thought it was interesting whenever you break down uh, all what the, the, the different meanings, because unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and humble mind, those are so similar that you almost can push them together, but there's biblically so separate of what they truly are and the acts of them. But I think the reason a lot of these were specifically mentioned is because we have such a bad habit of not, not truly meaning them whenever we walk in them. You know, you know, just like, oh, I'm, you know, you see a, a, a pastor in one of these, on TV, on one of these mega churches that rolls up in his, you know, Ferrari or whatever to the church, and then he gets up on stage and is, $5,000 Armani suit and then gets down on his knees. God, I just, I'm humble in front of you, man. Come on now. You just, you just, you're just talking this talk. You know, you're not, you're not walking it out. You know, and I'm not saying you can't have nice things and be humble at the same time. God, God blesses. He gives. That's, you know, kind of what it is. Because if you read the last part of verse nine, it says, but on the contrary, bless for those who were called, you may still obtain a blessing. So, uh, it's all about giving. It's all about giving out of your heart <clears throat> I struggle with uh, uh, giving to people who stand out there on the road you know holding up signs and stuff like that you know asking for money and, and, and I struggle with that I still struggle with it to this day but I have done figured out that the ones that I really struggle are the ones that I need to give to the most 
because I need to check myself because it's not about what they're going to do with it because that's always in this day and age, if I give them money, what are they going to do with it? You know, he's just going to go buy drugs. He's just going to, you know, turn around and keep living this party life. He, he needs to get a job. He needs to work. We hear that so much, you know. Uh, but, man, i got to quit worrying about what other people are doing because it ain't about the other people. It's about me. And where's my heart? And if I have so much, if my heart is hardened to the point where I turn around and am more focused on pointing fingers at him than pointing back at me, you know, that's the one when I need to check myself right there and do a U-turn and go back and give them some money because, you know, God, this is a growing chance for me. You know, help me to grow through this, grow past that. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting when you, when you really look at that kind of – when you really – I think it's – I think it's – yeah, I'm going to – there we go. Maybe that one will quit, quit messing with me. Uh, not today, Satan. Not today. Uh, okay, so now we're going to jump over to verse 10 uh, because we went through verse 8 and 9. So 8 and 9 are kind of kind of that checklist, you know, things that, that we need to do. Uh, verse 10 through 12 are interesting because whenever you read verse 10 through 12, man, how much Peter draws from Psalms 34 in this one. I mean... You know, and because you got to remember back then when all these letters are being written, they didn't have this book that everybody has a copy of and all that kind of stuff. You know, even a lot of them probably at, at some of these times, you know, when first Peter was written, he may or may not have got to read any of the other letters that were written by any of the other apostles at this time. He just didn't, you know, there's no telling exactly, you know, if he had seen a copy of it or not. We don't have any any ideas to that. So they go off of what they had on hand, which was mostly, you know, the Torah and and the psalms and stuff like that so you know you can definitely see the influence from peter uh with psalms 34 in this specific one here and uh so uh when he draws on 34 to uh love life and see good days uh is the result of the blessing that we're talking about in verse 9 you know so in verse 9 at the end of it it says bless for those who care or who were called that you may obtain a blessing so in verse 10, it says, for whoever desires to uh, love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. And then verse 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, uh, whenever you're looking at this, uh, verses 10 through 12, you know, uh, Peter says that it will come to the person who will keep his tongue from evil and who will turn away from evil and do good. So, uh, what I took away from this is that obedience to God in stuff like this, it's a daily thing. See, we turn around as Christians think it's a Sunday thing or it's a Wednesday night Bible study thing or whatever. But, you know, first you got to learn where your heart is and then you got to realize that it's a daily walk. You have to do it every day. It's something that changes every day. You never know what situation you're going to be faced with every single day. So if you're not thinking about it every day, if you're not thinking, hey, today's my day to be righteous, you know, 
you're going to miss something. You're going to turn around and and I, I know it's not as in depth as that, but this is how I uh, not in depth, not as crazy as this, but the way I like to see it in my mind is uh, when it says that God. Uh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his ear and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, it works better for me as as on in my specific walk to where whenever I'm, uh, I know I'm saying um a lot, but whenever I continue to uh, walk my walk as I'm going through day to day, that whenever I turn around and see somebody and I don't react with love and kindness when I get angry at somebody. I'm, I, I sometimes I'm taking this to the extreme literal to where, hey, I'm not acting very righteous right now, so that means the Lord, he's not going to listen to my prayers. He's not even looking at me right now. He's, he's so ashamed of me that he won't look at me. He's not going to hear my prayers just because I got crazy irritated with somebody. Now, we know God's a good God, and it says he'll follow us to the depths of Sheol. You know, he's always there for us. He's always there, but... Somebody like me who's hard-headed and, and makes poor choices at times, it's better for me to realize that, man, you know, it's like a kid, you know. You can tell them to not touch that, not touch that, but it's until they reach up there and burn their hand, then they realize, oh, I better not touch that anymore. That's kind of how I am. That's how I've been, you know, uh, my whole life. I'm, I'm just way too hard-headed. So sometimes I have to think of it like, man, I don't want to turn around and, and face that wrath almost of God because it's going to turn around and come back and you know, bite me. So I, I have to think of it in ways like that. Uh, so, but anyway, let me get back over here to where I was at. In verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. So, uh, like I said, most of everything he does is drawn from uh, 34, Psalms 34. Uh, it's, 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 it's one page or a page and a half. Uh, I suggest reading it if you study out this part of Second Peter or First Peter because it, it, they tie so well together. Like in verse 12, it says, uh, What man is there who desires and loves many things that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And uh, so it's not just about... It's not just about... Uh, turning a blind eye to it, trying to do a little bit better or anything like that, it's you have got to completely turn away from evil and do good. You know, uh, I've got a buddy who does not live his life the way he should live. He really doesn't. And for the longest time, I would never say anything to him about it. I would almost ignore it. I'm going to, and, and it's like this situation, I'm going to turn away from the evil or whatever, and I'm going to try and do good. Uh, and yeah, I was real good at the turning away from the evil, but I was not real good at the doing good part. You know, and uh, when it, when I say that, it's like, this is a real good friend of mine I've been able to speak into for years, but for some reason I was always nervous to ruin the friendship, to tell them, hey, you're not living your life right. I would turn around and turn a blind eye to it, but I wouldn't do the good part. And the good part is not always just ignoring it. It's trying to correct a situation, you know, with a loving, passionate, caring, you know, all verse eight qualities, 
you know, to turn around and try and fix the situation, but we don't always do that. We turn a blind eye to it, but we don't turn around and try and correct the situation. You know, uh, I can, I, I have a temper sometimes, you know, it, it, it can flare up on me. And uh, poor Courtney, she's turned into, she's, she's been a punching bag many times through our marriage, you know. And uh, I turn around and hate the fact that there's so many times that I would turn around and blow up at her and she would sit there and take it, you know. And there are so many times she would get mad at me and I would blow up back at her and all this kind of stuff, you know, and we're either participating in the bad or we'll just ignore it and turn a blind eye to it and not try and work through and make the good shine out of it. How can we flip this to a good situation? So that's where I really, when, when I was reading through Psalms 34, I actually read through the whole thing earlier. And, uh, well, yesterday when I was doing it today, when I was reading through it, it was like all this about it being so much deeper, so much more intimate. Uh, just like with all, with all the verse 8, like that's what God was trying to explain to me as I was studying this out is it's so much deeper than just a facade. It's, there's so much more to it. And he was showing me all these different instances, like my buddy who wasn't living his life right, and I was just turning a blind eye to it. You know, it says to turn around and turn away from evil and do good. But sometimes you you have to uh, not, you can't just ignore the evil. You know what I mean? Turning away from it's one thing. Don't personally participate in it to turn away, but you can't just, you know, especially when it's in a close personal family, friends, stuff like that, you can't just ignore it. You can't just let it, let it go and turn a blind eye to it. You can't do that. And that's what God was kind of speaking to me on that, you know. You've got to be able to, uh, in a very line, kind, loving, brotherly love, tender-hearted, hum, humble way, you've got, to, you've got to confront it. You've got to go at it. You've got to be able to explain to them, you know, why this is not good, why this is a bad thing, and you need to do more to try and correct it. And, you know, hey, I'm here for you if you need help and advice on how to correct it. It's a... It's a it's a it's a steep slope to walk. It's really hard to do. I struggle with it all the time. I've had I've had friends that turn around and you 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 know, you start trying to do the shine away from evil, getting closer to God, stuff like that, trying to be better. And I've lost relationships that I had for years, you know. And whenever I say that, I don't want to see us get hurt. And so the reason I'm I'm talking about it this way is I want us to understand that if there's somebody that you care about that's walking through a bad situation that's that's not right, that's not good with God, you can't always turn a blind eye to it because if you turn a blind eye to it like I did, you'll turn around and lose a relationship that you've had for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad, but is did you do all that you could to try and fix that? You know, or did you turn around and just ignore it? You got a sibling got a sibling that likes to party way too much, likes to drink way too much, you know, that's not a, not a very good husband, he's not a very good dad, and I turn around and ignore it most of the time. I say nothing about it because he's my brother, and I, I know as soon as he gets offended, walking through a season now, I have a sibling that's offended for no reason. You know, somebody that you have a relationship you talk to daily, now all of a sudden I haven't talked to him in like five weeks. He won't talk to me nothing like that you know and it's killing me on the inside 
you know, I wanted, I want to rectify the situation. I'll, I, I text my brother every now and then. I, I've tried calling him. He won't answer my calls. I've texted him or whatever. He's offended, you know, but it's like, you know, part of me just kind of gets, says, oh, well, you're lost. Give him the boot, you know, whatever. But then part of me is like, man, God called me to do so much more. Than that. What if Jesus turned around and said, ah, oh, just leave them to their own devices, you know, man. How bad would it be today if that happened? You know, we, we can't. We're supposed to be stewards of, of Christ on earth and, and allowing people to, to be in a bad spot and not live correctly and not, not do more to try and rectify the situation. Is, it's tough. It's real tough. So uh, anyway, we're going to jump over to verse 13 now. Sorry, I kind of went off on that. I didn't expect to talk about that one today, but, you know, you know how God works. Uh, Finally, we have verses 13 through 17. Uh, now, there is no harm. There is, sorry. <clears throat> now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your arms, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for their hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for good doing if that should be God's will than for doing evil. evil. So, uh, for who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So I looked up what zealous meant, and it means to be full of, characterized by, or due to zeal, ardently active, devoted, or diligent. That's a little bit deeper than, hey, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, isn't it? Way deeper than that. To be full of, to be characterized by. That one part of that, that definition spoke out to me the most characterized by when people look at you and they look at the character of you as a person do they see Jesus Christ in you most of the time the answers maybe depending on what day of the week it is is it Sunday or Wednesday you know they might see you as a Christian you know <clears throat> we have I have a little story about a buddy uh Gary I remember Gary uh he turned around and worked in the oil field for a long time, and he was down in West Texas and been working in, or South Texas, been down there for like, working down there off and on for two years for the company going down there, you know, two weeks on, two weeks off kind of thing, and he worked with the same guy, the same operator. They worked together for two years, and then one day they're talking, and Gary started talking to him about Jesus, and the guy turned to him and goes, man, I didn't know you were a Christian. They worked together for two years, and this guy had no idea that Gary was a Christian. So... If I was to go talk to the people that are around you, the people, your coworkers, not your church family, but other members of this, of this society that you interact with on an almost daily basis, if I was to walk up to them and be like, hey, what can you tell me about them? Would one of the first things I say, I know they're a good, I know they love God. I know they love other people. I know they're a Christian. I know they care. Was that one of the first things they would say? Where they turn around and be like, ah, oh, you know, he's an okay guy. You know, he's good, good at fixing cars and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's funny to be around. You know, he likes this, he likes that, but, I mean, would they turn around and identify you as a, as a Christian within the first few, you know, 
seconds of asking about you because if not where's your heart you need to start checking yourself a little bit uh yeah that characterized by man whenever i turn around and read that it kind of kind of got me you know uh or devoted or diligent man how diligent are we in our service of the lord i'm talking about diligent it's not a sunday thing it's not a wednesday thing it's not a i go to a women's meeting every now and then and I'll, I'll turn around and come to church on sundays but am i diligently being a christian because being a christian is not about just you know going to church you know there's so much more to it than that uh verse 14 was uh pretty interesting because when he's talking about when he says but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed now in verse 14 even if makes you oh well even if i'm going to suffer but you got to realize the christians at this day and age at this time we've already talked about this they are currently suffering they are being killed they are being hurt i mean this is a bad time for christians uh But, okay, so, but believers should always be ready uh, to provide a rational idea to their faith but and all that kind of stuff. But on that, even if, what was just so stand out to me is even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. You know, so have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So, uh, I got to kind of sort of be a part of that uh, thing over at the, Word of Life School of Ministry over in Shreveport where they do the big the play every year, you know, and being going to the school over there kind of got to be part of that a little bit where they do the, the reenactment of like a school shooting, you know, and then and, and they talk about uh, one of the, I don't remember if it was Columbine, it was one of the school shootings. This is a very, very bad thing, but, you know, the, the kid was walking around and he was asking people if you're a Christian and if they said yes, then he would, sh- would shoot them, you know. Uh, and it blew my mind when you study that out, how many of them said yes. You got a bunch of high school kids who, you know, seemed like all they'd be worried about, you know, what the latest celebrity tweeted. And here they are, you know, laying their life down for Christ. And then it got me thinking, uh, would I be able to be in a situation like that and have no fear? You know, because if these kids can have no fear, can I have no fear? Okay. But in, in our society now, we see where that's the extreme circumstance, you know, something in some of these other countries where, you know, Christianity is outlawed and stuff, you know, they suffer these violent things. We're in the first world, first world problems over here. We think it's suffering when somebody makes fun of us, when somebody cracks jokes at us and stuff like that, you know. And there are times that Christians are scared to turn around and say they're Christians because they're scared what somebody might say on Facebook or they're scared of getting their feelings hurt, you know. And it's like, man, when you sit back and think about the struggles that the church has gone through for so many years and still continues to go through, and in these first world problems, we're scared to turn around and and tell people that we're Christian because we don't want to make them think weird of us. I mean, I've been, I've had that feeling before, like, you know, you meet somebody, you're around some people, they're pretty cool people, but you're kind of leery to go into the whole Christianity thing because you're like, you know what, I don't want to ruin a good thing. And I think if I brought God into it, it's going to make it too awkward and it's not going to be a good thing. And it's like, you know, you sit back and think like, man, if I would bring God up, how can God make something worse? Uh, 
That's not who he is. That's not what God accomplishes. If, if, if I bring up God and they turn around and shut down and don't want anything to do with me, man, thank you, God, you just saved me a headache because I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to be running buddies with somebody who doesn't believe in you. You know, that's just, uh, that's the truth. You know, that's just kind of what it is. Now, I'm not going to, it's not saying I won't pray for them or help them or love on them or anything like that. But, I mean, we're not going to be fishing buddies. We're not going to go sit on the boat all the time and, and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, if you sit there and just straight up tell me that you, they, you don't believe in God, I'll love on you and I'll try and show you that. But, you know, we're not going to be BFFs. So, uh, verses 15 through 17 kind of kind of go into that we need to be prepared you know 15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense of anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good than it should than should be if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So, if you don't have a good conscience, that might not be good, right? Uh, it kind of made me think of the story of the the guys who were casting out demons and stuff in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they go to cast the one out, and the demon turn around and says, you know, I know God, I know Jesus, but who are you? You know, and so this is one of those, how are you outside of the church? Because if you're, if you're willing to step out and, and put your Christianity forth, but come to find out that you're sitting at the bar every Friday night, you know, is it good? Because it says have a good conscience, you know, having a good conscience so that when people come after you and they slander you and they insult you and all that kind of stuff, your reputation proves you are not wrong and you're a good person you know just like Jesus did Jesus sat up there he sat quiet he let who he was and let God defend him but if you're turn around and you're trying to to preach on the corner and you're trying to lead people to Christ great thing people can use anybody you know but if you haven't turned your life around and you're still like I said going to the bar on Friday nights you know how horrible would that be for me if I turn around and lead somebody to Christ, you know, during the week at the grocery store and then Friday night I run into them as I go to the bar to sit there and drink. And they're like, hey, aren't you the preacher that just led me to Christ? And what are you doing up here, you know, being a drunk, sitting on a bar stool for hours? It's, it's one of those things. But what was interesting to me on that is having a good conscience. So I'm going to read it one more time on verse 15. Be in your hearts, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So you always got to be ready to prepare to, to defend your, your hope, your faith in, in Christianity. I'm not talking about fistfight defend. I'm talking about, you know, just be able to say, yeah, I believe in God, you know, and this is why I believe in God, part of your testimony. You know, you got to have that defense. Uh, but then it says right after that, it says, yet... Do it with gentleness and respect. Okay. Be nice, sweet, calm, all that kind of stuff. But then in verse 16, it, right after that, it says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So that's what it's about right there. Because we all know how the world works. We know how people are nowadays. Whenever you turn around and say something, 
and somebody doesn't agree with it, they start looking for the bad in you. They're not going to disagree with your single statement. They're going to start trying to attack you as a person, not your statement yourself. That's the way the world is. That's the you know how many cancel culture we have. There's so many people that are getting canceled for stuff that's happened before and all that kind of stuff. So you got to have a clean conscience whenever you're ready to step out and defend the Lord. And I'm 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 not saying don't defend the Lord if you don't have a good conscience. It's okay to to you know get, tell somebody your faith, but if you're going to be on the front lines of of this you know, you want to reach out there, you've got to have that clean conscience. You've got to have a good conscience to it because if you don't, people are going to come after you. You know, it's just part of it. We're going to suffer. That's what the whole point of this whole sermon is. How did I word it? It's suffering for righteousness sake. I mean, it's going to happen. People are going to, people are going to not agree with you, especially if you try and do it on some kind of a social media platform where people are way braver. They're way, you know, they're way braver on a keyboard than they are face to face. It's just, that's the truth of it. And everything revolves around social media. So we just need to remember that, that uh, you got to have a good conscience. So, you know, if you're worried that an action of something that you still currently do, somebody could use against you if you were to defend Christ, think about that. So anyway, right there, uh, verse 17, they end it just the easy way. Uh, out is not always the right uh, or best. So verse 17, uh, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You know, uh, I look back at situations through history where, you know, uh, what was it during during beginning of World War II, before that, with the Nazi Germanies, they had like the what they call them, the brown shirts or whatever, and it wasn't it wasn't the, the the Germans that were coming in. It was it was like other people of the community that were turning in the Jews. Like like, and I look at it. That's an extreme situation, but it's a very clear situation where uh, the easy way out's not always the right way or the best way, because a lot of times the easy way out's the bad way, the evil way. So what we're saying there in verse 17 is, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that be God's will than for doing evil. So, you know, that's just something to think about, you know. Uh, what is it? I don't remember the verse talking about the, the path, the, the path, the, you know which one I'm talking about? The, the, the easy, the easy wide path, and then there's the, the hard narrow path and all that kind of stuff. I should have looked that up. It just, it just clicked in my head whenever I was just saying it, so I didn't have a chance to read. I didn't research it beforehand. But anyway. That's what I wanted to talk about today, guys. I know I was kind of scattered all over the place or whatever, but, you know, in that first part, verses 8 through 9, you know, gives us that kind of a list, and we kind of broke down that there's there's all those different meanings, and we need to not just, just it's not a facade. It's something that's got to come from the heart. we got to work from the heart. And then uh, for that next little section right there, that middle section, go read through Psalms and study that out. It's actually a really good chapter. It's really interesting how... Peter uses, you know, he's using scripture to write scripture. And it's really awesome when you see that, you know, that it's not, he's not making this, all this stuff up. He's, it's not something that's just coming to him through the Holy Spirit that he still refers back to the teachings of God from the Old Testament that he's got, the stuff that he's got. And it's really good to see that. And then in that last little section, you know, just have a good conscience. Make sure you understand that people are going to come at you with everything and you don't want to give them any ammunition you know 
they can slander you and all that kind of stuff. It's it, it can happen. It's going to happen at some point, especially if you're working for the church and all that kind of stuff. If you're really trying to to, to serve God, you know, there's going to be people that come against you to slander you. You just got to make sure that you've got that good conscience that you're going to be. Uh, there's nothing that's going to come back in East Texas terms. Something's going to come back and bite you in the butt about it, you know. So anyway, uh, that's all I got. I'm going to close this out in prayer.